Psalm 124. The psalmist invites us to remember that the Lord is on our side. The title of our message is a lyrical title, and you can sing it with me if you'd like. I am, he is on my side. Yes, he is. Father, thank you so much for the revelation that you're on our side. We're on your side, you're on our side. We're together, Lord, in, in this thing that's life and everything that's happening around us. We want you to teach us. You promised you would through the Spirit who indwells us and who uh, inhabits a place like this when we gather together as your saints. And so I pray that this ancient word that meant so much to travelers in Israel would mean even more to us as we find ourselves on our pilgrim journey home. Bless us as we get into this, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. And those who agreed said, amen. Suppose Abraham Lincoln had been a vampire hunter. It's the premise of a novel made into the 2012 movie appropriately titled Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Don't tell me none of you have seen it, but don't tell me some of you have either. I just <laughs> Instead of Honest Abe, we have to call him Horrific Abe or Abe the Axe, maybe Abraham Van Helsing. It's an example of a genre in literature and film called Alternate History or A.H., consists of stories in which one or more historical events occur differently. These stories usually ask what if at crucial points in history that present outcomes other than those in the historical record. Three of the most popular AH categories are, suppose the South had won the Civil War. Now, a lot of you are thinking that they did, but you know, I'm sorry to have to change your historical perspective. Second, suppose the Axis powers had won World War II. And third, suppose JFK had never been assassinated. Former House Speaker Newt Gingrich, along with William Forstchen, have written a novel. It's called 1945, in which the US defeated Japan, but not Germany, in World War II, resulting in a Cold War with Germany rather than with the Soviet Union. Most long-running TV shows will feature an AH episode at some point. You fans of Star Trek will remember the Next Generation episode in which Picard was not stabbed in the heart when he was a cadet. The change led to him becoming a mediocre crew member rather than one of the great captains of the Enterprise. Here's one that you're going to want to note. Hulu has optioned the rights to Curtis Sittenfeld's alternative history book, Rodham which takes place in a world in which Hillary Rodham never married Bill Clinton. Maybe we could get together as a church and watch that. <laughs> it's a Wonderful Life is A.H., obviously. Suppose George Bailey had never been born. It might surprise you that the Apostle Paul suggested an alternate history in the Bible. In his first inspired letter to the church in Corinth, he wrote, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. He went on to list several terrible consequences if there were no historical resurrection. It was a suppose there was no resurrection argument. Psalm 124 is definitely not alternative or alternate history, but it does ask us to suppose. In the opening verses, we're going to read, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Another translation puts it like this. Suppose the Lord had not been on our side. 
Suppose the Lord had not been on our side when our enemies attacked us. Suppose he had not been on our side when their anger blazed out against us. Israel's national history is full with events in which they would have been eradicated, but for the Lord being on their side. While they were subjects of the Persian Empire, wicked Haman proposed a day upon which all Jews would be murdered. The book of Esther records the miraculous on our side of the Lord to protect and preserve his chosen ones. Esther, a Jew, had become queen at just the right moment in history to be used to save the Jews. Jesus on our side is something we too enjoy along with the protection and preservation it affords. Jesus sweetly promises believers, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And the apostle Paul wonderfully exclaimed, if God is for us, who can be against us? We'll explore this as we work through the verses, and I'm going to organize my comments around two simple points. Number one, Jesus is on your side in your troubles. And number two, Jesus is on your side to triumph over your troubles. Let's take a look at Jesus in our troubles. Now, I've told you each week, I think it's important that we know and remember, and there's always new people, but Psalm 120 through 134, they are the songs of ascent. They were sung by pilgrims ascending to the hill of Jerusalem on their way to the temple to celebrate the annual feasts. And so we're in verse 1 where it says, a song of ascents of David, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say. So right away we see that this psalm is responsive. The song leader begins it and he solicits a response from the people. Have you ever tried to elicit a response from an audience only to have them remain totally silent? Happens to me a lot. <laughs> But then, I, you know, I'm kind of a goofball. I don't expect anything. Back in, uh, you know, the Stone Age, I think it was 1978, uh, before I was a Christian, Pam and I were in Las Vegas at the Riviera, which got blown to bits, I think, right? Didn't they? It's one of the, one of the old school hotels. And we went to a dinner show featuring Rich Little. Who remembers Rich Little, the Impressionist? So Rich Little is doing his best Johnny Carson. And he gets to the point where he goes... It was so hot. And it, no, yeah, but nobody said that. See, everybody just sat there. 300 people drunk out of their minds, except for me and uh, Pam. But, uh, and they just sat there. And he looked astounded. And then he said it again. And Pam and I looked at each other and we yelled, how hot was it? And he looked at us and smiled. And I, I bonded with him in that moment. <laughs> But it was a terrible time for the audience to remain silent. That didn't happen in Israel. When you sang the Song of Ascents and somebody said, if it had not been with the Lord on our side, then people responded. Now, when we worship by singing in a service, the worship team is soliciting a response. Most of you respond by singing. Now, if you don't sing, I'm not here to rebuke you. That's not what this is leading towards. For all I or anyone else knows, you're praying or you're reflecting on the words or you're reading your Bible. We had a lady here a lot of years ago. She's not here. It's not you. If you do this, I'm sorry. <laughs> I doubt you do because we'd hear it. But she took advantage of the worship service to cut her nails. She would clip her fingernails and her toenails. And we would find them Monday morning. <laughs> she was a sweet sister. I couldn't find anybody to rebuke her, and I wasn't going to do it. But anyway... 
So I don't know what you're doing when we're singing, but I would hope that we were entering into some kind of a spiritual situation. I would only ask you this. If someone were to ask you, what was your response to the worship of the Lord in song, what would you answer? Because maybe you don't like the singing or you don't like the song or whatever. You can still worship the Lord in his presence in, in other ways. There have been people over the years, and, and now maybe you are here, and I am talking to you, and I, I don't know if, who it is, but there are some people I've known over the years who show up after the singing because they don't like our style of music. They're here for the teaching. And then there's people who are here for the music, and they leave for the teaching. <laughs> Go figure. So uh, just make sure what you do is spiritual and it's between you and the Lord. Verse 2, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Now, wouldn't it be more biblical to say that we are on the Lord's side? When Joshua was contemplating the attack on Jericho, we read, A man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand, and Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So the man said, No. I'm commander of the army of the Lord, and I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped. And so essentially Joshua was saying, hey, are you going to be on our side here? And, the, you know, this theophany said, yeah, no, you're looking at it all the wrong way. You're on my side. And so we definitely want to have Joshua's humility and be on the Lord's side. But simultaneously, the Lord wants us to understand that he is indeed on our side. And that's what this psalm teaches us. He is on your side, especially in your troubles. Now, isn't that a basic elementary principle? Doesn't every believer already know that? Did I not have any time to study this week? Is that the best I could come up with? A theologian I follow on Twitter, where else would you follow theology, said, <laughs> I just had a thought. My whole life, people have said, so where did you study theology? Now I'm going to tell them. Twitter. Uh, anyway, this guy, good guy, said, Pastors and teachers, when it comes to the basics of the Christian faith and Christian living, if we don't continually state the obvious, one day it no longer will be obvious. Sometimes the most profound thing you can tell somebody is that Jesus loves them. It's obvious, but it's not always remembered. And it does seem that we regularly forget this elementary principle in our daily walk with the Lord. The very first church service I ever attended after being born again was a Sunday morning at what was then Calvary Chapel of Riverside. Now it's Harvest Christian Fellowship. The guest speaker was Pastor Romaine from Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. I only remember this one quote. So you're a Christian? Then where do you get off by losing your entire joy over a dead car battery? And it's the first time I realized that the biblical Christianity impacted every aspect of life. It may not sound all that deep and profound, but it was to me. I understood that God's omnipresence meant more than that he was everywhere in some mystical sense. It meant he was always with me, by my side, on my side. It's practical theology. God is omnipotent. He is omniscient and omnipresent. He wants me to know it, but he also wants me to experience it. He wanted his people Israel to experience his omniness. So, for example, in the Esther episode... The Lord could have intervened another way that didn't involve Esther or Mordecai. I, I mean, you could speculate, uh, I'm going to use a big word, ad infinitum. Woo! College kid. Uh, you could speculate for a long time 
about alternate ways that the Lord could have uh, dealt with the situation in Persia. But instead, he, he put it on Esther and Mordecai. And, and the way that the Lord did intervene expresses him to them in, uh, in a really powerful way. Think of Esther. She was a beautiful Jewish girl. She volunteered to be a candidate to become the queen of Persia. And this was no beauty contest. To be chosen, she and Mordecai knew she would have to have sex with the king. Now, that's just wrong. It wasn't God's plan to pimp her out. Everybody thinks, oh, Esther, you know, she's so godly. She wasn't at first. I hate to burst your bubble. But if you say Esther was godly and you say God told her to go into that harem and have sex with that pagan king, uh, that, that's, not, that's not how it happened. Her and her uncle weren't really walking with the Lord. But God used her bad decision and brought Esther to a spiritual decision. Once the decree was issued to kill Jews, she found herself in a position to do something about it. And Mordecai recognized it and he said, are you going to go talk to the king or what? He was smart, though. He said, hey, if you don't, help will rise from another source. But it seems like this is your moment. And so it was an experience that they shared. It wasn't that just God, oh, God's omnipotent. He, he got us out of this trouble. He's on our side. He did it in a way that expressed that to his children. And we marvel at his intervention in that story. Esther and Mordecai tell us that we are going to be right in the thick of things. We're going to be on the front lines. Your Persia may be at home or at your work. Might be at your church. It's wherever you live, so to speak. You've got to have skin in the game to experience and express the living God. He wants to reveal himself to you. How about triumphing over our troubles in the remainder of the verses? David, whose scholars credit with writing this psalm, suggested an alternate history. He asked the Israelite pilgrims to look back upon their national history and suppose God had not been on their side. And so, verse 2 if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive when their wrath was kindled against us. David's going to employ several metaphors in these remaining verses to describe the severity of various situations that Israel faced in her national past. Looking back, if God had not been on their side, the nation would no longer exist. He says, when men rose up against us, that could apply to any number of troubles. At one point in their history, Jerusalem was surrounded by an Assyrian army that rose up against them and would have swallowed them alive. But when their wrath was kindled against Israel, God sent a single angel into their encampment. That night, the angel killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. One and done. I can almost hear the pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem in their overnight encampments or perhaps in homes that had offered them hospitality along the way, regaling one another with these stories. What about that time the Lord was on Gideon's side or that time he was on Elijah's side and fire came out of heaven and he killed the prophets of Baal? Flip through the Old Testament with an eye for on our side stories and you'll find them everywhere. Verse 4, then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream would have gone over our soul. Then the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. We've all seen footage of the tsunamis. Many times in her history, it seemed as though the Jews would be overwhelmed by some spiritual tsunami. They were trapped with no way out. Moses and several million Jews had their backs against the impassable Red Sea. The mighty Egyptian army was on their heels. They had them trapped. 
It would be the end of the nation before it ever really began. But you know the story. God was on their side. Another time, a Canaanite force featuring 900 heavy military chariots came to destroy Israel. This would be like a tank in today's warfare. Uh, think Tiananmen Square, that tank in front of that one lone guy, uh, except that it mowed him down in this history. And so yet it suddenly rained upon them, making the chariots useless, swelling and overflowing the Kishon River, sweeping them away, giving Israel a miraculous, glorious victory. God was on their side. Verse 6, blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Here he uh, th talks about Israel as if they were torn apart by a wild beast. You know, it's dumb to speculate on how we want to die, but we do it anyway, don't we? We get into these weird discussions and inevitably somebody says, I want to die in my sleep peacefully. I've never heard anybody say, I want to be torn apart by a wild beast. <laughs> I don't want to die that way. Dun dun. Dun 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 dun. I don't think I've ever been in the ocean since then. Great theme song, by the way. Still scares me. That and the exorcist. Woo! Yeah. I saw the exorcist. This is, has nothing to do with anything. But I saw the exorcist as a non-believer, and I thought I was going to be possessed by hundreds of demons that night. It's kind of a comical movie now, but back then, man, it was... When Linda Blair's head turned around and she vomited on that poor priest, that was it for me. <laughs> Verse 7. Oh, what, what are you talking? Dad, what is he talking about? Verse 7. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Listening to the stories being told, someone, maybe a child or a young adult, might wonder about times in Israel's past in which the Jews were defeated. They were held captive. How was God on their side then? That's a good question. So David acknowledged that often Israel was caught like a bird in a snare. It refers to the many episodes in Israel's national history in which the Lord found it necessary to discipline his people. It only came after much warning, urging them to repent. The prophet Jeremiah urged Israel to repent and to surrender to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. They abused him and refused. They didn't think they could ever fall because the temple was in their midst. They kept pointing to the temple and saying, well, Nebuchadnezzar is a bad dude, but God lives here in the temple. He'd never let his name be sullied that way. But Jeremiah went right on warning them, saying, hey, you need to surrender rather than be overcome. They refused, and into captivity they went. But there was a promise from the Lord that they would be delivered after approximately 70 years. It seemed as though they were ensnared, but the snare was broken by the Lord when he saw that the time was right, and they escaped. There's a long extra outside the Bible history of God being on Israel's side. A Jewish website posted an article titled, 17 Miraculous Israeli Military Victories. It covers Israel's modern history from the late 1940s when they became a nation up through the present time into our own decade. On January 16, 1996, then-President of Israel, Azar Weizmann, gave a speech to both houses of Parliament of Germany. He gave his speech in Hebrew to the Germans, which I think is classy, 50 years after the Holocaust, and in it he appealed to Israel's history. Here's part of what he said. It was fate that delivered me and my contemporaries into this great era when the Jews returned to reestablish their homeland. 
I am no longer a wandering Jew who migrates from country to country, from exile to exile. All Jews in every generation must, however, regard themselves as if they had been there in previous generations, places, and events. Therefore, I am still a wandering Jew, but not along the far-flung paths of the world. Now I migrate through the expanse of time from generation to generation down the paths of history. I was a slave in Egypt. I received the Torah on Mount Sinai. Together with Joshua and Elijah, I crossed the Jordan River. I entered Jerusalem with David and was exiled with Zedekiah. I did not forget it by the rivers of Babylon. When the Lord returned the captives of Zion, I dreamed among the builders of its ramparts. I fought Romans and was banished from Spain. I was bound to the stake in Manz. I studied Torah in Yemen and lost my family in Kishniev. I was incinerated in Treblinka, rebelled in Warsaw, emigrated to the land of Israel, the country from where I have been ex exiled and where I have been born, and from which I come and to which I return. Probably not a believer, not a Christian, as we would say, but this former president of Israel understood that God had preserved his people throughout history, that he had been on their side. The very survival of the Jewish people is nothing short of a miracle. It is a before our very eyes fulfillment of Bible prophecy. The very fact they exist as a nation to, uh, today stands in testimony to the existence of God, a God who acts providentially. Over 300 years ago, King Louis XIV of France asked Blaise Pascal, the philosopher, to give him proof of the supernatural. Pascal quickly answered, why the Jews, your majesty, the Jews. He understood something profound. Now verse eight, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. This is certainly a nod to the Lord's power as creator. It's also a reminder that creation is going somewhere. There's a plan being implemented throughout human history. His story is progressively unfolding. It's the plan to offer salvation to fallen mankind by sending a savior through the nation of Israel to them first and through them to the whole world. Psalm 124 is first and foremost about Israel. However, to the extent that it describes God and a covenant relationship with believers, it can be for every believer everywhere, any time, as long as you're careful in your application. The New Testament is full of stories in which we see the Lord on our side. Gino's teaching insightfully through the book of Acts on Wednesday nights. If you were there last week, he covered the story of Paul and Silas beaten and confined to the dungeon in Philippi. If you weren't there, our studies are about 30 minutes long online, and I suggest that you go back and, and listen to it. It's uh, really a great study, and it, it's a great, you know, if we had time, we would stop and listen to it now, and then I'd finish, but I won't do that to you. I can't go into the depth he did, but luckily most of you are familiar with that story. Paul and Silas, the two missionaries, were wrongfully arrested, beaten severely with rods, locked deep in the prison dungeon. And in there, they were in stocks. As they sang, at midnight, a focused earthquake unlocked their chains and opened wide the prison doors. Thinking all his prisoners had escaped, the jailer was about to commit suicide, as was expected to maintain his honor in Rome. Paul urged him not to, seeing as all the prisoners inexplicably stayed in their cells and didn't try to escape. As the morning progressed, the jailer and his family heard the gospel, and they were saved. In the morning, when the order was given for their release and banishment, Paul dropped a political nuke by informing the authorities that he and Silas might be Jews, but they were also Roman citizens. What the magistrates had done to them was criminal deserving of great punishment. 
When I say that Jesus is on our side, triumphing in our troubles, this is the kind of on our side triumphing I mean. In Philippi, Paul could have immediately appealed to his Roman citizenship. They would have avoided a terrible beating and the subsequent incarceration. And it's just fun to speculate on this a little bit. But, you know, they're in this situation, they're being taken, and they say, hey, we're going to beat you. And somebody has to say, you know, whether it's Paul or whether it's Silas to Paul, don't tell them we're Romans. Uh, so we ordinarily think it would be Paul because he's a spiritual guy and the Lord somehow brought that to him as a word of knowledge. Don't tell them you're Romans. But it could have been Silas in a situation where Paul needed to trust him. Could you imagine that? Can you imagine being Silas and saying, hey, I've, I'm hearing from the Lord right now that we should keep quiet about our citizenship. And then maybe Paul says, really? Gives that sigh that starts the television show alone, if you watch it. <sighs> Beaten again? Come on. But somehow they, they had to communicate with each other that that was going to be the Lord's strategy. And it's a really foolish strategy, isn't it? You're being arrested, and you're going to be beaten with rods. I mean, this is a serious beating with, you know, this isn't just a slap on the wrist. We're Roman citizens. We're not, you know, going to be, be and anybody looking in on that would say, just tell them you're a Roman citizen. But they flow with it, as it were. And I don't think the Lord gave them the whole plan. I could be wrong. Maybe the Lord shared everything. Say, here's what's going to happen. You're going to, you know, this, and I'm going to send a focused earthquake. This guy's going to get saved. The prison's going to hear the gospel. It's going to spread. I just think the Lord said, don't say anything. And they didn't in obedience. But think of how the story unfolds. When and how would that jailer have ever heard the gospel of Jesus Christ in such a powerful way? Or the prisoners. Something went on because they didn't leave their cells. They also heard something amazing. And then the church at Philippi. I'm sure the magistrates were a little bit afraid to deal with those Christians after that. And then the region spreading around. Can you imagine telling that story? You're a traveling merchant, ice cream vendor. No, I'm just kidding. It's one of those times I knew I wouldn't get a response. But uh, anyway, you're traveling. You say, hey, did you guys, what happened in Philippi? I heard this rumor. Oh, man, it's not a rumor. There was this crazy focused earthquake, and, and there's these two missionary guys, and they could have said that they were citizens, but they didn't, and the whole magistrate is up in arms, and, and people are becoming Christians. When I say that God is on our side, those are the kinds of things I'm talking about. We have to trust that he's on our side. If you've never made an absolutely bonehead, foolish decision for the Lord, I'm not saying the bonehead decisions you make every day, husband. But if you've never done that, then you need to at some point because the Lord's going to prompt you. I, if you could look back at some of the financial decisions that I made regarding the ministry, I wouldn't be here because they're just stupid from any worldly point of view. Any financial counselor or Christian counselor would say, you're an imbecile. No one does this. And it's not that I was super spiritual. Uh, you know that's not true. I'm incredibly handsome, but I am not spiritually. <laughs> I think you know what I mean. Paul exercised his right to be wrong for the sake of the gospel. You're going to be asked to exercise that right instead of your rights on certain occasions probably won't involve you being beaten with rods, but it will require trust and sacrifice. I mean, if you're having a situation like this, 
at work, uh, God's asked you, you know, to do something, you're probably not going to go in tomorrow and your boss is going to say, you know, you screwed up one time too many, I'm going to beat you with rods. That, that's not going to happen. You might lose your job, you might be demoted, whatever. Speaking of jobs, maybe some of you, I know some of you have, and it's turned out to be glorious, you, you know, you, you turned down a, prom a promotion or you were offered a job, but you didn't take it. And your peers came up to you and said, hey, this is stupid. If you're on a career path, this is, what you, this is what you need to do. This is an imbecile decision. But the Lord had spoken to you, and he said, no, that's not the direction the Lord wants us to go into. He wants us here or for a reason. Or maybe you leave something for something less. And, the, you know, same thing. The Lord is speaking to our heart. It's precisely in times like that that we feel Jesus is not on our side, but he is always, every bit as much as he was on their side of believers whose stories are recorded in the Bible and throughout Christian history. I mean, there's not too many stories in the New Testament where it said Gene got up and he poured himself a cup of coffee. Case closed. I mean, there's stories about what God did with people. Philip, leading a revival in Samaria. God says, yeah, we're done here. Go down and sit on a desert road all by yourself. And I'll tell you what to do a little bit later on. All right, let's go. You know what? Stupid move. From a worldly standpoint, even from a Christian standpoint. If revival broke out in Hanford and a certain individual seemed to be leading it, and then he said, okay, I'm done here. Well, wait a minute. There's a lot of work to be done. Now the Lord wants me to go start another revival. Uh, maybe. Right now, he just wants me to sit on a desert road. But Philip didn't know that he was going to encounter the Ethiopian eunuch. Step by step, the Lord led him into that man's life. And that guy took the gospel back to Ethiopia in a way that the Christians couldn't have. And so these are the stories that we read and we marvel at. And at some point, you need to say, oh, I need to be in a story like that. There's times in my life when there's going to be stories like that to tell because I heard from the Lord and did what he asked me to do. I shudder to suppose my alternate history had the Lord not saved me. If you're a believer, you relate to that. But if you're not a believer, God has, uh, well, here's, here's the, your history right now. If you're not a believer, you're gonna die in your sins that Jesus paid for on the cross because you've not received him and you're gonna spend eternity in conscious torment in hell. That's your history, that's your story. The world is condemned. Here's an alternate history for you that you can have right now. Jesus saves you by grace through faith apart from any works you can perform. You have your heart opened by the Holy Spirit as the gospel is being preached. He frees your will to recognize that you're a sinner and that there's no hope for you except for Jesus' death on the cross and you receive the Lord. And then he has good works for you to discover as you walk with him. He has a plan and a path for your life to follow. And most of all, you have a glorious entrance into heaven rather than be conscripted to hell. That is some alternate history. It can be your history if you'll come to the Lord.